everybody needs to start somewhere. When we're talking about recovery, that likely means going through a detox process. The first few days of quitting a substance can be quite difficult, and in some cases medically hazardous. For those individuals, medical detox with full nursing support can save someone's life. For our first episode of Through the Trees, I sit down with Dr. Dan Bebo, the addiction medicine physician who manages the Assessment and Detoxification Unit at CEDAR. He helps people safely progress through their detox and realize that they're struggling with a severe health condition, one that warrants our full attention. Addiction treatment healthcare is vast territory, much of it having yet to be fully charted. It also is a field with some of the most passionate and interesting of clinicians. Each week, we walk the addiction treatment trails, learning from experts of all backgrounds and specialties. My name is Pat Failing, and I'm an addiction psychiatrist for CEDAR in the University of Colorado. You're listening to Through the Trees, the CEDAR Addiction Treatment Podcast. So we are here today uh, at uh, the University of Colorado Hospital in CEDAR. We're located at the detox unit at CEDAR. We call this the ADU. It stands for the Assessment and Detoxification Unit. Uh, I'm happy to join or to welcome to our show today uh, Dr. Dan Bebo. Dr. Bebo is an addiction medicine physician. So that means that he is trained both as an internal medicine doc at the same time and has, a, has an additional board certification as an addiction specialist physician. Dr. Bebo is part of the University of Colorado Hospital and he runs the show here. So he manages the ADU and the detox ward. Uh, so uh, Dr. Bebo, thanks for joining us. Oh, I'm glad to be here. So today we kind of wanted to talk a little bit about detox, specifically what happens, what are some of the fears people have when they're making steps to come off drugs or alcohol, and how we approach them medically. What do we tend to see? So if if people come into the uh, CEDAR program and they've been struggling pretty heavily with uh, drinking or drug use, what do they look like? What What do we notice? Well, one thing uh, is for sure that there's a broad range of people that come in. Uh, They can come in from any walk of life. People tend to be struggling with their own demons, uh, anything ranging from personal issues to professional issues to health issues. So we definitely see a wide range of people that are coming in from every walk of life. And I'm imagining a a lot of those people are quite nervous. Or they, they really feel quite terrible. Well, they feel ter- terrible on a, a mul- for a multitude of reasons. Uh, a, it can be scary because this is a new, a new thing that they're addressing. Substance use is a chronic medical condition, and, and I think we really have to accept this disease model, and we'll talk about that some more. But for people, this is a, a new change, a new chapter in their life, and they're always nervous about that. On top of the fact that with withdrawal, they can feel pretty terrible, pretty terrible. Sure. So we talk a lot about withdrawal and kind of dedicated addiction treatment. What is withdrawal? How would you describe this? So withdrawal is the body's reaction to chronic exposure to a substance. Uh, It can be anything from alcohol, opioids, stimulants. What happens is the body always wants to achieve a steady state. And 
when it's exposed to these substances, it really throws things off of that steady state, and the body will always try to achieve that. But what happens is the body will develop tolerance, and with tolerance, they're able to be exposed to more and more of a substance. The reverse side of that is, is the body will compensate. Well, some of those um, mechanisms to compensate can sometimes push the patients over the edge in a different direction. So, for instance, when we see somebody who's withdrawing from a depressant such as alcohol, we'll see these excitation-type symptoms uh, that can be anything from a seizure to tremors on, on, the, on the low end. Uh, if it's something like a stimulant, uh, then they could be uh, have severe depression or sedation, be tired, sleepy, hungry, those kind of things. So would you say that detox from different substances looks different uh, depending on what substance it is that somebody's coming down from? Yes. So depending upon what their detox is not created the same. So if you're detoxing from one substance, it doesn't look the same. It isn't treated the same as any other substance. You can't just bl have a blanket detoxification and be okay. Okay, so that, that's important, I think, for listeners to understand, is that it's really heavily substance-dependent, if you will. Correct. Well, let's say somebody's walking in, and you're meeting this person for the first time. You, you must be starting by gathering some information about their life and where they're at, what do you tend to focus on? What are, what are the things that you really care about? Well, for me, what's important is the overall picture of the individual, including their health, their baseline health, on top of their substance of choice. Uh, patients need to be treated specific to what their life and what their medical conditions are, as well as their substances. You can't just uh, treat a substance. You have to treat the individual. So one of the first things that I assess is their medical conditions. The very first questions I ask are what medications they're on, what are they taking, what are they being treated for, and this is above and beyond anything as far as their substance. And then after we establish their baseline health, we're able to delve into exactly what their, what their needs are when they come here to see us. Those health conditions probably will impact your decision making. Exactly. Uh, if we see a patient who's, for instance, had uh, high levels of alcohol use over so many years and has had severe liver damage, then we're able to address those accordingly and get them onto the, uh, the appropriate uh, healthcare providers to treat that for long-term care. Uh, if it's somebody with uh, opioid use disorder and they happen to have been exposed, potentially exposed to uh, diseases or infections, we can treat those as well. So it, I guess it, some of this involves setting the stage and building kind of an overall health plan exactly. for these people? Exactly. Here at Cedar, we look at a, a very holistic picture of the individual. Okay, that seems very important. Yes. And I think, my guess is it's probably comforting to the people, like that they feel like their whole health is being addressed. Yes, yes. Again, our focus is not just on their detox, but making sure they're healthy. Okay, very good. Well, okay, so Dr. Bebo, I have some, I guess, rapid-fire or maybe not-so-rapid-fire trivia questions uh, to throw on the table. And I, I would be curious what you think about some of this. I call this the uh, medical detox fact or fiction. Some of this has to do with myths. So we have a lot of people who will come into treatment that have a lot of preconceived notions about this. Some of this, they're accurate. Some of this, they aren't. Are you up for this? Sure, let's go. 
Okay. All right. Number one, fact or fiction, you can die from alcohol withdrawal. This one's actually fact. So it's important to understand that not everyone can potentially die from alcohol withdrawal, but some people can. Now, what we have to think about is uh, the length of time somebody has been exposed to alcohol. What happens again is the body develops tolerance. And when people develop tolerance, they can have a the phenomenon of withdrawal. Now, withdrawal can be anything from tremors to sweats to um, not feeling well. But every time a person goes through withdrawal, you can actually have a worsening of those symptoms. And this is a phenomenon known as kindling. So what happens is every time somebody goes through withdrawal, it can potentially get worse and worse and worse. And the end stage of this phenomenon could potentially be something called delirium tremens or a seizure. So these events actually can't, are, are critical issues that need to be treated and can lead to death potentially. Uh, what I do is when people come in, I, I, I use the analogy of a speaker. So if somebody was listening to music and they had the volume cranked all the way up to 10, what happens is as they're drinking and developing this tolerance, it's like somebody's turning the volume down and they're, pretend they're getting closer and closer and closer to that speaker to maintain the same level uh, of appreciation of that music. Now, when somebody has significant tolerance, that volume is almost all the way down to zero and their ear is right on the speaker. Withdrawal then is like somebody taking that and then dragging it all the way back up to 10 and being blasted. Yes, some people are going to be okay, but there are some people that will go into seizures where they could potentially die. Oh, interesting. So I, I like that analogy, almost like uh, you're blowing out somebody's eardrums. Exactly, exactly. Um, it's so intense. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. in, in terms of some of this, this kindling phenomenon, if people have experienced, let's okay, let's just say for argument's sake, a dozen periods of detoxing from alcohol over the last decade, is there a possibility that number detox number 12 could be the most severe of all? Exactly. Um, it, again, we can't point to one thing other than duration, frequency, and intensity. So if somebody keeps having a detox after detox after detox, it will incrementally increase. So I can't guarantee that number 12 isn't going to be the time when somebody has a seizure. It could be number, it could be number 12, it could be number 13, but we have to be concerned and we have to be, have to worry about that and treat it accordingly. Sure. Okay. Very good. All right. Fact or fiction question number two. Once you detox, if you go back to drinking, that's your own problem. Your alcoholism is solved once we get you through detox. Absolutely not. So again, going back to the disease model, uh, this is a chronic medical condition. Again, I'll, I'll draw another analogy. If we look at something like high blood pressure, once we get that treated, people seem to be doing fine. If they stop taking their medication, the blood pressure goes back up, just like uh, with substance use. In fact, the studies have shown that compliance with substance use treatment is about equivalent to other chronic medical conditions. So, you know, we'll see a significant amount of relapse as well as we'll see a significant amount of non-compliance with other medical issues. What I'm basically saying is long-term treatment is nece necessary for these individuals. And once you're through detox, you need to continue being seen by a, a healthcare provider or seeing a therapist. Okay. This is not something that is just kind of one, a one and done. 
So that's important. So that's yeah. when we, we talk about a chronic disease model of mm-hmm. care, helping people be kind of own their health problem and then being a good steward of their health more long term. Exactly. Okay. All right, number three. The DTs are the shakes. Absolutely false. Um, so there's this big misunderstanding exactly what delirium tremens means. So when people look at this, they, hear, they see the tremens part and they think, well, a tremor, tremens, that's exactly it. No, delirium tremens is uh, the, the, the first part of the word, uh, delirium. So people are becoming um, confused. That's delirium tremens, the state that they are in severe confusion versus having shakes. Shakes are tremors. That's exactly what they're. And those aren't necessarily a complicated form of withdrawal, whereas delirium tremens is a medical emergency. Yeah. Okay. So the so the real so the the full delirium tremens the real by the book DTs is the real deal. That's Ex- a that's a medical emergency. Exactly. That's something that you'll need to be in the uh, the ICU and you'll be on have to be heavily sedated on medications. Okay. Uh, number four. Vitamins help people detox. Um, well, here's the problem with vitamins. Um, they are great. And I would never argue with anyone getting vitamins. However, vitamins are not necessary for detox off of substances. People do require some supplementation if they haven't been eating correctly. But vitamins play no role in detox as it is, other than if somebody has a questionable nutritional status. It is very common that people will come into treatment and they'll get vitamins or they'll be put on things like thiamine and folate. Why does that happen? Why, why are they started on that stuff? That's a good question. So thiamine and folate are vitamins that are actually kind of poorly absorbed orally and they're leached off by the body. And when people are drinking alcohol, aren't absorbed very well. So in order to get ahead of that, we replenish that. Uh, those vitamins for the simple fact that there are severe neurological conditions that can arise from having a deficiency in these. Now, giving someone thymine and folate will not help with the detox, but it will help with the neurological conditions that can be a result of their substance use. So they do play a role in making sure someone isn't isn't struggling with another medical issue, but they will not help with detoxification. Okay, that makes sense. Okay. Number five, if you have to detox, that means you likely have liver disease. No, that's false. So if you have to detox, that means you've developed tolerance. You can have a perfectly healthy liver and develop tolerance to medications, alcohol, and whatnot. So that doesn't mean you have liver disease at all. Liver disease, there is a very specific criteria associated with evaluating the function of the liver not having to go through detox. So that one's false. Can you elaborate a little bit on that? Do we have uh, people who will come into treatment and we discover that they have pretty significant liver disease? Yeah. So on the initial evaluation, we'll uh, look at liver function and we'll be able to determine if the liver actually has suffered any damage. When a person is initially evaluated, We'll be able to see if their liver enzymes are elevated. We'll be able to put them on for a further workup. But we do get to kind of get that first peek at a patient. And if we see that they require a further workup, we can make referrals. We can actually initiate that workup. 
we can start treatment. Um, we can go ahead and test for diseases that could be uh, impacting the liver, such as hepatitis. Um, but uh, again, we can go ahead and initiate that work up here. I, I imagine you probably encounter a lot of patients who have some markers of inflammation in their liver, but they wouldn't necessarily know that. No. So elevated liver enzymes can be anything from what we call a fatty liver. We see that in primary care to being impacted by alcohol. Now, the fortunate thing is the further that people get away from drinking alcohol or their substance of choice can actually reverse some of those findings. So what we do is we have follow-up labs to evaluate to see if the person is improving or if they need to be followed up by a hepatologist. But what I've found over the years is that when patients have, are initially presenting, because they've been exposed to alcohol and the, uh, the liver has had some inflammation associated with being exposed to high levels of alcohol, that those will resolve on their own and not everyone has liver disease. Well, very interesting. My guess is this is all part of kind of what you're talking about, like a holistic assessment. Like we're assessing their need to detox off the substance. And then we're also kind of scanning to gain a greater scope of the problem. Uh, your, your drinking has gotten bad enough that it's starting to take a toll on your core physical health, such as your liver. Exactly. I like to think of this as kind of a multifactorial approach to treating the patient. Because if someone is drinking alcohol because, for instance, they have an issue with chronic pain, if we can address the chronic pain, then we'll be able to address the alcohol and be able to, to improve their livelihood, their functional status, if you will. Okay. All right. Number six. You can detox yourself by rationing your alcohol consumption. This one is, in theory, yes, you could detox yourself. However, however, with the disease process, what we found is that this is never very effective. Uh, again, the kindling effect where people, as they are exposed to substances, will have worsening uh, withdrawal. It just never seems to work out correctly because of the disease process. From the level of the receptor, you could technically do this but I find that it never works out. Most people that when they say they're just going to cut down, it never works. They end up drinking more and more and more and relapsing. So, you know, while, I, while I'm saying in the strictest sense that you could technically do this, I, I find that it's never worked. So in practicality, it doesn't seem to be a great recommendation. Absolutely not. Like maybe in a laboratory setting, it might work. Precisely. Um, I think that speaks a little bit to what we see with addiction as a whole. People can't control their substance use. So just trying to, the, the fallacy that you could control it down kind of would mean that you weren't an alcoholic to begin with. Well, the problem comes down to this idea that it's a, a choice or a decision. When we, when we talk about somebody being able to taper themselves off of alcohol, I think what we have to understand is, is that there's a physiological process going on and there is a disease present with our patients who are struggling with alcohol. So for them, there is no choice to drink less. Their body will go ahead and will have these symptoms and it, it ends up taking it off the table of their ability to actually lower their, uh, their intake. So again, it's part of this whole disease process. Okay, that makes sense. 
All right, next question. Now, this is a this is a fascinating one that I, I put some thought into. Um, if you have a withdrawal seizure, that means you have epilepsy. Okay. Well, if you have a withdrawal seizure, it doesn't mean you have epilepsy. Okay. Uh, withdrawal seizures, again, from that whole kindling phenomenon, are worsening withdrawal related to your uh, your stopping of the substance. However. It doesn't mean you can't have epilepsy on top of that. So alcohol can actually reduce, alcohol consumption can reduce your threshold to have a seizure. So let's say you have baseline epilepsy and you're drinking alcohol and going through withdrawal. That can precipitate a seizure. However, not every alcohol withdrawal seizure means anyone has epilepsy. So what we like to do is if somebody has an alcohol withdrawal seizure, have them see neurology and have it ruled out that there potentially could be another effect going on. But not every seizure means you have epilepsy. Now, how do you usually uh, guide patients? If, if they experience a withdrawal seizure, I've seen many people where they get placed on an anti-seizure medication for maybe a year post that seizure. But it, it seems that their seizure was really an alcohol withdrawal seizure. What do you usually advise people to do? A, I always want to know who did the diagnosis of the seizure and who initiated the anti-seizure medication. Uh, again, um, if somebody comes in and is on an anti-seizure medication, I want to know were they seen by a neurologist, did they have the appropriate workup, did they have an EEG, and if there was some type of finding on those, then there might be a rationale for using that medication, but to just abruptly put someone on an anti-seizure medication after they have a withdrawal seizure, that's not really recommended in the literature as it stands right now. Okay, makes sense. All right, next question, number eight. Medical detox can be done through the ER and then at home. Uh, this one is a, has a very special place in my heart. I, I I hope I don't offend anyone by saying this, but I believe it's a myth. Um, again, it's been my experience that our emergency room brethren, they are able to deal with a lot of primary care issues. I don't view this as really a primary care issue. I view this as a chronic medical condition. And one visit to the emergency room is not ample for a detoxification. You might be able to get medications and stop drinking, but being able to maintain that safely is, is a very precarious situation. Um, basically, the treatment of choice for alcohol withdrawal is a medication class known as a benzodiazepine, which by themselves are relatively safe medications unless taken in excess. However, when you mix those with alcohol, uh, they can become very dangerous. So you already have a person with a chronic medical condition that taking a substance that could potentially impair their decision-making, thinking they're taking a medication that's going to help them detox, and I think that's a recipe for disaster. You cannot safely detox by an emergency visit, emergency room visit alone. Uh, my belief has always been that, again, you should treat a chronic medical condition in a long-standing facility, be it with your primary care physician or by seeing, being seen in a facility that can handle such, uh, such care. I know at a, at a treatment program such as CEDAR and the University of Colorado, the detox seems to be just the beginning. Like we're, it, it's stabilizing patients and then it's moving them into the next steps, which are kind of a deeper 
recovery, I guess, or like a, a more a more holistic stabilization. Yeah, so patients usually stay in the ADU anywhere between 24 to 48 hours for an initial stabilization. That's a vast majority. Some patients might be uh, less time, some patients may be uh, a longer time. But again, it's a very small portion of their whole treatment while they're here. If the patient needs to be on long, a long-standing taper, then that can be done while they're being engaged with therapy and programs but again, detox is just the tip of the iceberg. There's so much underneath that has yet to be seen. So does the medical literature really show that people who just do detox and then are back at home in their everyday life, they don't have very good recovery rates? That's like, exactly right. So it needs to be long-standing follow-up. You know, historically, again, that, that acute detox and then the patient would be fine for... 30 days, and then they would go ahead and relapse. That's the finding when people aren't in a prolonged treatment program. And it, that's interesting because there's plenty of, I guess, kind of brute force detox options around the country. They, a little bit of like the public drunk tank, if you will, in which all they really do is offer detox and then they say, go on your merry way, don't drink again. Um, that seems to be a failure for most patients. Right. So a lot of uh, county jails will tell you that they're the number one uh, detoxification center in the area for people who are struggling with alcohol, and that may very well be the case. However, I would wager that uh, a lot of those people are making repeat performances. So in order to safely maintain sobriety, it needs to be something that's followed long term. Okay, I think that bridges quite nicely into our uh, next uh, fact or fiction number nine. Um, detox centers are cold and harsh environments. That would be, I can speak from personal experience, a myth here over at Cedar. I, I, I can't speak for too many of the other facilities. I, I tell patients when they come in, the hardest thing they can do is walk through the front door. After that, it's a warm inviting uh, environment. Uh, here they are hoping to facilitate your recovery. So the process of coming in doesn't need to be a scary uh, endeavor. This is something that is going to be, you know, we're, we're ready to help people move on to the next level. And every step of the way people are encouraging and want to see someone get well. There's no stigma there is no um, persecution. The belief is that this is going to be an environment that will help somebody maintain sobriety and improve their lives because that's our goal. Yeah, it's, it's about health and medical care. I don't think anybody really like kind of wants to be in a hospital setting. And I would warrant this is not a hospital setting. Uh, the initial ADU visit is the closest to a hospital setting that would ever be seen in Cedar. And it's more like a doctor's office than anything. And after that, after that first 48 hours, then it goes to a residential center where it's like going to college. Okay, uh, next question. This is number 10. By taking medications such as Xanax or Clonopin, which are benzodiazepine meds, you improve your alcohol detox. Okay. Uh, now, this one, again, is another gray area. I believe that 
for the most part, if a person, if we're talking about a person taking this on their own, that would be a myth. They will not improve their detox. However, if, it, if it's medication such as benzodiazepines and the correct benzodiazepines taken under medical direction by a healthcare professional, it can improve the alcohol detox because those are medicines that we use. The medicines we use are nothing like Xanax and not quite Clonopin. They're longer acting medicines that are able to help transition somebody from alcohol to this medication and then eventually detoxify them off of that. So it's a smooth transition, whereas Xanax and Clonopin are not ideal for a detoxification. So I would definitely say that this is a, a myth given the, uh, given the circumstances. Okay, now that makes sense. Um, I guess once again, it, it connects to this concept of can you do it on your own or do you need the help of a professional team? Uh, Cedar seems pretty strong in terms of the detox services. I know uh, who who is on your team. You have a full nursing staff. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have multiple yes. physicians working with you. Correct. You have uh, kind of nursing support staff. Uh, so there's a lot that goes into it to keep people safe. Yes. So just to give you an idea, uh, I'm the internal medicine physician, and I'm here every day of the week, some weekends. We have a full nursing staff that is here 24-7. We have nurse practitioners that will see patients for chronic medical issues, acute medical issues. Uh, we have the uh, patients are followed by a healthcare provider from the moment they hit the door till when they're ready to discharge. So we have a full contingent. And that's just in the ADU. Once people transition over to the cottages where it's the residential aspect of their treatment, they're still seen by nurses. They can still follow up with a physician or a nurse practitioner if need be. They're also seen by uh, uh, psychiatric staff, and they're followed very closely. So uh, there's not one step of the way that they don't have assistance for improving their health. CEDAR, the Center for Dependency, Addiction, and Rehabilitation, helping people build a life of recovery. To learn more, visit cedarcolorado.org. Well, very good. So, uh, uh, Dr. Bebo, I know we focused quite heavily on alcoholism. Mm-hmm. I, I know that that's the main thing we see. It seems to be, what, 80 to 85% of the people who come to the Cedar Treatment Center have alcoholism. Yes. What, are there any significant differences that you would look for for the detox process, let's say, coming off heroin? or painkillers? The good thing is, is we can accommodate that as well. So when a patient comes in, we're able to assess where they're at uh, as far as their opioid use and being able to formulate a plan to help them detoxify off of their opioids or transition to other uh, medically assisted treatments such as buprenorphine, suboxone, or naltrexone for their treatments. So you know, we, we actually are able to run the full gambit of, of medications for patients who want to see an improvement of their life and to get away from other previous substances. We also see people who are on benzodiazepines like Xanax who've been using those. We're able to help transition them off of those. There is really nothing holding anyone back. We don't have any preference if it's alcohol, or opioids, or stimulants such as crystal meth. We will treat anything and everything. I guess a parallel, if you will, I put question number one, you can die from alcohol withdrawal. What would you say to a parallel question with this? Can you die from heroin withdrawal? 
from heroin withdrawal, it'll certainly make you feel like you wish you were dying, but it can't kill you. The only time that I would ever be concerned about someone who could die from a opioid withdrawal would be someone who's in poor health to begin with. The, the stress from that could potentially lead to a hospitalization, but in 90%, 99% of patients, I, I would say that there would be no worry for someone dying. Uh, there's no seizures associated with withdrawal from opioids. Uh, there's no heart attacks associated from, related, uh, from withdrawal to opioids unless the person already has the propensity to uh, go down that path anyway because of poor health. And Because there is some risk that their uh, blood pressure can surge up a little bit. Absolutely. Absolutely. And again, that's why uh, medically assisted treatment is the uh, the preferred route. Because again, if somebody's blood pressure is elevated, we can uh, we can address that as well. How about for some other drugs of abuse? Do you, do we notice anything interesting about people detoxing from cannabis or from marijuana? What do you what do you see? So, the interesting thing about cannabis is historically. Uh, people have downplayed a withdrawal symptom. However, now that we're in the day and age of uh, decriminalization and legalization based upon your state, we are seeing more potent cannabis out in the public realm. So we're actually seeing an associated withdrawal phenomenon. Uh, usually it's uh, irritability, issues with sleep, uh, feeling like uh, they're unable to engage, and kind of almost a general malaise uh, associated with that. We're able to uh, treat that as well. The studies are still coming out, out with how to address these. Uh, we can give medications to provide symptomatic relief and hopefully potentiate uh, continued abstinence. Anything unique about stimulant detox, so cocaine detox, or maybe Adderall, meth? What, what do we see there? Usually it's the exact opposite of the the phenomenon associated with the drug. So with the detoxification off of cocaine and stimulants, we see people are usually very tired and feeling exhausted after being elevated so high and trying to address that. There are some studies out there that talk about how we can deal with the cravings and we try to use evidence-based medicine in an effort to treat these patients. But what we typically see is that they need a bit of time in the ADU to recover from their binge, and then we'll go ahead and cycle them into treatment. I have had some experiences with patients in the past where we actually look at antipsychotic medication, so uh, dopamine-based medication mm-hmm. for people who have, I would say, cocaine-caused paranoia mm-hmm. or hallucinations. Uh, I mean. I know we do have some patients who are using methamphetamine to such a degree that they actually can have psychotic thought. Their their brains are really out of control. And uh, we would sometimes lean on some of these advanced, they tend to be more, I guess, psychiatric meds. Yes. And the great thing about that is, is there is psychiatric coverage here at Cedar. So we have assistance from uh, board-certified psychiatrists such as yourself being able to help manage these patients if they are indeed experiencing these pretty significant withdrawal symptoms. So Dr. Bebo, I I guess to kind of conclude a little bit of our discussion about some of this, when people come in and they are really nervous about the process, they're worried that it's not going to go well, they're worried that they can't change their life or it's going to be too overwhelming for them, 
What do you usually recommend, or, may, or do you do you recommend anything to them, or recommend anything to their loved ones on ways to support them through this time? What I usually say is to take it one day at a time, to take recovery one day at a time, and to take this whole process one day at a time. Uh, it's easy to put the cart before the horse. It's easy to look at the end and expect to kind of zip right there. But what I tell people is, is that this didn't happen overnight. So just like any other medical condition, you can't treat it overnight. Recovery is a lifelong process, and it's the long, slow road. However, 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 you do need a good roadmap to help maintain a good course. And that's, I think, what we provide here, is trying to point people in the right direction, help facilitate them into maintaining their own recovery, to not be afraid of the road ahead, and to just show them that there is hope at the end of the line. Well, very good. The, um, I think this was uh, very informative. Uh, Dr. Bebo, uh, thank you so much for joining us on our show. This is, um, I'm Dr. Pat Failing. I'm one of the addiction psychiatrists at Cedar, and we're sitting down as part of our podcast series to help us understand this very complex disease of addiction on a deeper level. And uh, today talking with Dr. Dan Bebo, uh, addiction medicine physician who runs the show in, in our detox ward, uh, Dr. Bebo uh, uh, presents highly professional. And I think that that seems to be a, a quality standard at the University of Colorado Hospital, professional health care. I think so too. Uh, the big concern with me has always been that patients face a lot of stigma and we have to understand, again, this is a chronic medical condition. This is no different than any other illness somebody might uh, be experiencing, and they need to be treated like any other patient with dignity, dignity and respect. Well, very good. Thank you much. Thank you for your time. Thank you for listening to Through the Trees, the Cedar Addiction Treatment Podcast. Please visit cedarcolorado.org for a wide array of educational content about the disease of addiction and the science of recovery. If you or a loved one are considering CEDAR and the University of Colorado Hospital for treatment, please speak with our admissions team at 720-848-3000. CEDAR, the Center for Dependency, Addiction, and Rehabilitation. Helping people build a life of recovery.